Welcome to CompletelyMachinima.com Podcast of Horror. <laughs> Happy Halloween, everyone. I'm here with my pals uh, for this Halloween episode of the Completely Machinima uh, podcast. I'm here with uh, Damien Valentine. Hi, Damien. Hello. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Tracy Harwood. Hello, Trace. Hello. Happy Halloween. And Phil Rice, who's back. Uh, it's good to see you, Phil. Good to be here. Happy Halloween, everybody. Yes, a big happy Halloween to you. Uh, we'd also like to thank folks who have been contacting us recently. Uh, uh, I think back to those days when uh, Phil was so desperate, he was actually reading the spam emails to give us some sense of it being contacted. So now we're getting a contact from the community. Thank you very much. Phil, you have somebody who uh, contacted us recently. What's that about? Uh, yes, we heard from uh, a filmmaker named uh, Chris um, uh, talking about the discussion of long-form machinima, which uh, was in a, a previous episode. Um, and uh, he has actually created a feature-length machinima film. Um, not the first, um, but, um, you know, one of significance. He started it in 2011, released it in 2018, made, we, we think, with MovieZoo. Is that right, Tracy? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And uh, to me, the interesting point that he brought up is is uh, is a valid one in trying to account for why isn't there more long-form machinima out there. And uh, the point that he raised, which is, I think we all agree on, is that, well, part of it is just that making feature-length content with either a very small team or solo is just really, really hard, you know, requires uh, a, a great deal of time and a different sort of craft um, is used for, to, to have a narrative hold together uh, for a feature length work than it is for a short work. Not that short work doesn't require craft. Of course it does, but um, you know, there are different aspects to that. So that was, that was his main Element, he actually in, in the email said, uh, I was kind of screaming at you in the podcast until till near the end, because to him, that, that point was really uh, the main one. And I, and I tend to agree. I think I mean, there are other, um, I can think of one almost solo project, um, Peter Rasmussen's uh, Stolen Life. He did have other people involved, certainly voice talent, and he had a producer and stuff, but uh, it's a very small team. Uh, Hugh Hancock and Strange Company with uh, Bloodspell. Uh, we were a very small team. Um, that was actually released episodically at first, and then always with the intent of uh, releasing that as a feature-length film. Um, funny story, uh, I was hired, well, not hired, I was brought on as the sound designer and incidental music composer for bits here and there for Bloodspell, as an episodic release. And so we did 12, 13 episodes and it was, it was a nightmare of work. It was a lot of work. And then we get done and a couple weeks pass and I get an email from Hugh saying, all right, well, we're ready to move on to the, to the feature cut now. <laughs> <laughs> the what? because <laughs> i had been you know popping the champagne virtually and you know, hey, we're done oh my god i get a life back 
And then it's, <laughs> oh, yeah, that was, that was the plan all along. Didn't I mention? <laughs> no, no, Hugh, you didn't. But the plus is it had been the plan all along. So all, some of the elements that, that Damien talked about with the challenges of taking his episodic work and trying to adapt it to feature length. Well, Hugh, just unbeknownst to me, had planned it that way. He knew right where they were going to seam together. Uh, and so actually the sound required very little uh, um, adjustments to accommodate those new seams. So anyway, so that was another feature length. There's one that Ben Greasy will not forgive me if I don't mention, but there was one made in Quake years prior to either of those called the Seal of Nahara. Or Nah. Oh, Nahara. yes. I, remember I don't know how to pronounce that. it. It's like four hours long. <laughs> Crazy. And again, a small team. Um, that just just labored on it and got it done, uh, but those are rare. You know, feature length ones are rare and and uh, good ones even rarer. But what Chris was pointing out was, well, that's not that much different from film. You know, that good ones are rare, yeah, and that ones crafted by very small teams are rare. And and just a glance at the credits of a Hollywood feature film you know, the hundreds exactly. of people. And yeah. you know, sometimes there's just a page that's just lists of babies born to the production team during the, <laughs> the production. I mean, it's just, it's like a city full of people. So now what was the title like, of Chris's film? Uh, it was called Beware the Eye of Amun-Ra. Yes. Beware the um, Eye of Amun-Ra. And actually it's, he's got it hosted on Amazon Prime right now. So we'll include links to that for the U.S. and the U.K. versions. Um, it is uh, on YouTube as well. Thank you, Chris, for your uh, thoughtful response to us, and thanks, everyone, for uh, contacting us. It really means a lot to us, you know. And we put a lot of effort try to put our podcast together and people respond to what we're doing. It just makes us feel great. Absolutely. Now, I wanted to ask you quickly, Phil, uh, do you have any other thoughts about that topic that we discussed last week about the uh, short form versus long form machinima and why there isn't that much? Or is machinima really designed to be a short form um, storytelling platform? I don't know. I, there are enough short form pieces that I've seen that are so impressive that I think, okay, I, I could... I could see a, I, I could see myself sitting and watching a feature length of that, but it does have to be uh, a certain level of quality. I think um, doesn't even necessarily have to be visual or graphics quality, but the story's got to be there. You know, the 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 the, the narrative has got to be there. The visuals have to be there too. I mean, really, all the elements have to come together to avoid. I think what what Ricky you had talked about in that episode, which was you 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 get a disconnect that suspension of disbelief is just harder to maintain. So uh, I don't know. I think, I think it's viable except for the reasons that were brought up and a lot of them highlighted by Chris here that it's just really, really hard. And, and to, I think part of what's challenging about it is to be slaving away in a cave working on a movie for potentially years before anyone really gets to see it and you even get to know, are people going to think this is good? That takes a really special level of commitment yeah, that yeah. Um, 
there's a there's a gratification that can come from either releasing something episodically or just doing a short and you finish it and it's out there and then you get to to hear your audience respond to it. So well, didn't to, Chris to, say that um, it took him seven years to do the yes the full feature link? That's a long commitment. Yes, very. So I think that's that's the biggest challenge, uh, uh, apart from the fact that you know, in, in the same sense that that writing a novel is not some easy task. I mean, getting the words on the paper isn't hard, but getting it that's something that someone's going to want to read that's actually yeah. a quality piece of literature yeah, yeah, that's yeah. very hard. And I think that I think novel writing is much harder than a feature length screenplay in many ways, but but it's up there, you know. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the challenge. Yep. Well, thank you, Phil. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's talk about a uh, question that came up in, um, our, our talk last week, uh, from Tracy. We were uh, featuring, uh, our theme for the films last, uh, week was, um, horror, uh, since it's being Halloween month and, uh, Sort of out of the blue, you came up with this question, is the horror genre dead in machinima? And I was curious, where did that question come from? What made you think about that while we were talking? Do you recall, Tracy? Um, yeah, I think really, because I don't, I, I, I know a lot of the, um, the games that machinima is made on, uh, made in are, you know, post-apocalyptic even. Apoplectic. Indeed, all of that. Horrible worlds, post-apocalyptic worlds. Um, but very often what we, we see isn't, isn't a representation of that world, but a translation of that world. And it's not, you know, the machinima itself isn't necessarily horror. It's more humour or you know, the everyday, but using that kind of game environment. And I I just wondered what you guys thought, really. I mean, I, I in the end, I had to sort of look up what, what I meant by horror, because after having said it, as one does, you kind of think, well, what actually is horror in the end? Mm, mm. Uh, and I also, you know, Wikipedia, great, great resource as ever. Speculative fiction that is intended to frighten, scare or disgust leading to a feeling of repulsion or loathing, something that is eerie, frightening, supernatural, psychological, or about actual menace. It's about ghosts, demons, vampires, werewolves, ghouls, the devil, witches, monsters, dystopian things, uh, serial killers, cannibalism, psychopaths, cults, dark magic, Satanism, the macabre gore, torture, and God knows what else. Well, see, and now you're just reading a list of stuff in Ricky's front yard. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. I got all that stuff up there. I saw, and it looks pretty amazing. But what is it that makes it horror? And, you know, I don't, in the end, I kind of, I wasn't really too sure about this one. Um, because, as I said, all the games routinely encompass quite a lot of these menacing features and all these sort of horror tropes. But the machinima is doing something else. It's It's more about fun it's putting those things out of character uh and doing something other than playing with the the game's horrific kind of context and, and then there's also um 
machinima that plays with that context, taking the, the tropes of the game and making it kind of more intense, um, perhaps more human, um, and putting some kind of extended characterization in that game using movie tropes. Um, but we very rarely see machinima take those characters and portray them as things worse than they are in the game. And I don't really know why that is. Hmm. Um, occasionally we do see things taken out of context and portrayed in a surreal way. And it, and I think if we if we think about some of the films that we've shown on this podcast, you know, in episode one we had Leo Lucian Bay's Beast, which was a psychological thriller, basically. Um, I can't remember who brought Evil Imp to the table, the Animal Crossing movie, which was a sort of an alien serial killer, which was quite horrific, I thought. Quite une unexpectedly horrific. Then there was um, Spooktergeist's Ghost Boys, which was a kind of a weird alien ghost story that I think you brought um, to episode three, Ricky. And then, then we had, if you remember this one, the Cassini Logs done in Unreal Engine, which was oh, yeah. sent, you know, sort of a, a race against time on this alien world, which we talked about in episode two. And then I think, Damien, you brought, was it the Hamilton Incident? Yeah, in, that was a spooky uh, one. Elite Dangerous, that was really spooky. So it was a kind of a perceived sure threat in, a, in an alien environment. So I kind of, as I was, I was thinking about this a little bit more, I was thinking it's, it's not just about the game. Um, it's, it's more about how, you know, because if you think about it, a game is an immersive uh, experience. Um, and that, that horror is revealed through that level of immersion and experience, interactive experience. But Machinima is doing something else. It's, it's turning it into a, a, a performative or narrative form. Um, so, you know, whereas suspense might have been achieved through the play environment, once it's harnessed, it's then up to the editor to kind of sort of splice the footage into a story form, irrespective of whether that kind of content represents horror um, from what the player is able to do or, you know, how it's um, how they're presented with those possibilities in the game. But it strikes me all these things really come down to um, the story and the quality of the story and its presentation as a story. Um, so it's the ability to tell the story, set the scene, provide the build up and a plot with a with a kind of a revealing ending using soundscapes, using music and voice acting, all of all of that to tell the story. That's the key to it. And I guess it comes down to the point we were just making a little earlier, which is good quality machinima that tells a good story is actually quite rare, isn't it? When I mean we've we've picked some good ones out over the over the months, but there's an awful lot of stuff that doesn't even attempt to do that. It's kind well, of Well I let's would call play. it fan I would call it fan fiction, hmm. you know, and there's nothing wrong with fan fiction. I mean, I love it. I've, I've read some of it myself. I like to, I, there's many machinima films that I wouldn't say is a great story or good literature, but it's nevertheless quite entertaining. Um, so we're so not I, really being elitist here in a sense yeah. that, Hey, this is so much better, but just making an observation that really quality storytelling doesn't happen that often in machinima so so the question i got for you then ricky is because i know you you've you know your, your head is in books a lot of the time because you love books yes what i, I do. was uh, what i was going to ask you is how 
is horror literature translated for or adapted for the screen? How might not you go very, about doing that? Not very, very good. Uh, in fact, I one of the points I was going to make about um, horror adaptations, and I guess your question isn't that horror is dead. It's really more of a question is how how have machinima filmmakers adapted their immersive experience into a narrative form. Mm, yeah. And I think one of the th- problems is, is that the massive popularity of filmed horror is so big is that it influences the way people think about horror and uh, literary horror or fictional horror is a good 10 years ahead of film horror because film horror relies on similar tropes, much like a a department store sells items that are selling really well. So they make other items that are like that in order to sell them. The same way with, uh, as soon as the Saw series of uh, torture porn uh, came up and it was very successful, they had to come up with another series like that. And I think quite often machinima filmmakers who tend to be young and tend to be male gravitate towards the film horror rather than their experiences in the game. And they see using game elements to be able to retell the film horror. So it's a long way to answer your question, but literary horror, and I live with a award-winning horror writer, Lisa Morton, um, who writes really, really good stuff and, and introduces me to new authors all the time. Literary horror is about that unique, true horror experience. I mean, you could trace horror all the way back to the Odyssey where uh, Ulysses uh, summons up his dead mother to get um, uh, knowledge from her. They go back to what really makes you uncomfortable, not disturbs you. It's not a visual disturbing thing, although that does occur in literary horror. But real horror has a creep factor, and and it it comes out of the real sense of, Freud called it unheimlich, that sense of unease and unreality that we experience all the time. Like, what the the hell is that? And that's what they try to deal with. I recently read... um, and I, w- I won't spend a lot of time on this, but I wanted to mention it. The L- British Library has put together a series of reprints of fantastic horror literature. Um, and one of them is a collection of E.F. Benson stories. Now, E.F. Benson was um, a uh, uh, Edwardian uh, gentleman who wrote mostly social mannerist, humorous, satirical stories in the vein of Jane Austen. But... He also wrote horror stories, and they collected several of his best. And those things are domestic situations in which suddenly is injected this note of either the supernatural or something so strange and unusual that it can't be figured out. Do you know what I mean? And the the emphasis is on character, trying to cope with this strange weird experience they're not trying to make jokes out of it there there's no decapitations that occur in it there's no flying ghosts with fangs it's just real people experiencing something that's unreal 
And that, and this was written in 1920s, 1930s. So that kind of horror doesn't often show up in Machinima. And that's too bad because there's so many sources, like many of E.F. Benson's stories are in the public domain, and they would make wonderful Machinima. In fact, many of the authors, uh, William Hope Hodgson, M.R. James, Oliver Onions, many of the authors are in the public domain. And if you're a machinima filmmaker and you're looking for a source and you can't write, these are public domain. Just go to Gutenberg.org and pull up the text and you'll see what I mean. So that's basically my answer. I hope, I hope I've answered the question. I'm not sure I did, but I hope I did, Tracy. No, thank you very much. I, I appreciate your um, your input into that. I, it, it's just that the machinima to me doesn't seem to reflect the it doesn't. the the game or or the the literature. If you go to YouTube and type in machinima horror or horror machinima, and pick today, you'll get fifty, sixty, a hundred films, many in different languages, Russian, Spanish, and they're all essentially the same generic tropes, the same mm. things, monster chasing uh, girls, um, a romance um, with a vampire, you know, or a big monster or guys out on a camping trip and a whole bunch of monsters show up. It's the same thing over and over. Mm. You rarely find anything as interesting as uh, um, some of the films that we picked mm. that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Uh, so I hope people will consider that. Check out the British Library. If you go to their website, they've got a whole list of some of their reprints, and they're marvelous. They're beautiful trade paperbacks with great reading potential, and they're cheap. So check out the E.F. Bentonson. I don't know if All this right. is worth mentioning. Um, it was occurring to me that I'm kind of going through a list in my head of numerous uh, horror-themed shorts, machinima mm-hmm. shorts that I've seen over the years. And mm-hmm. I can't think of one of them that was made in a horror-themed game. Mm-hmm. I was huh. thinking you know, about Left this. Left Dead or Fear or, I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's tons of games mm-hmm. that have built on, you know, The Walking Dead or, or you know, TV or movie-themed horror stuff. And that's not where I, I've seen the most interesting horror themed stuff. It's been something surprising made in The Sims or mm. in the old The Movies, Lionhead's The Movies game. Uh, yes. Somebody did an adaptation of uh, uh, Poe's uh, Telltale Heart that was just gripping. Even with as primitive as, as The Movies was, it was just really well done. Mm. Um, I, I actually saw one at one point, someone tried to adapt The Pit and the Pendulum, which is very <laughs> Very challenging to yeah, yeah. do with machinima, mm-hmm. um, and they made a they made a decent go of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen some in The Sims, which is a game that has no inbuilt horror elements to it. I mean, it's all cartoonish at best, and and yet an an endeavor at least to make something, uh, you know, truly horror. The ones that are the most memorable to me are the ones that at least attempt to adapt. Uh, classic horror literature mm. stuff based on Lovecraft yeah, um, or the, the Poe ones that I mentioned, uh, things like that. So yeah, that, that underlying story being rooted in at least the tradition of real horror, you know, literary horror that, that puts it on the right, that starts it off on the right foot for sure. I think, you know, whereas so perhaps, trying to base it off of saw or right. 
I don't know. I don't even watch that stuff. So I, yeah, neither do I. I, I, I couldn't mm-hmm. name um, it. I think so you're perhaps, right, though. So perhaps what we're saying is that if you want to create a horror machinima, maybe the best way to start out is to adapt something, find something that you think is interesting, do an adaptation, and then find the engine that would most effectively do that. And that leads us directly into our next topic, which is the, and Phil, you, you propose this and I just think it's great. It's the thought process of choosing a platform for a new machinima project. Um, Yes. Tell us where that came from. Where did that idea come from? Well, it's, it's because I'm at a, uh, a bit of a crossroads. Um, I've just finished um, an, 12 months ago was not planned to do uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 short. Um, that was kind of a diversion. Um, so I'm looking to get back on track with projects that have been on the on the burner a bit longer. And I have a screenplay written for a 12th, 13-part serial, uh, not television-length serial, but, you know, shorts, seven to eight-minute. Um, and uh, it's it's this point where, you know, I spent a giant portion of uh, my most recent productivity period with Machinima working with MovieStorm. Well, MovieStorm's effectively defunct. Um, it's It's... It's, it's all but abandoned where uh, the look of it doesn't really compete well with, uh, I, I'm not sure how well it competed when it was in its prime, to be honest, but it certainly doesn't now. So there are a couple more shorts that I'm almost done with in Movie Storm that I'm going to go ahead and finish there, I think. But for this new project, this is the first brand new project of significance that I've approached in a long time. And okay, so Movie Storm's out of the question. Now it's a matter of how, you know, I, I own iClone. I picked up iClone seven last year on that crazy special that they ran last November. Haven't fired it up. I used a much, much earlier version of iClone back when I was learning movie storm and went with movie storm. So I've got no, no real working knowledge of making something with iClone. Then of course there's unity. There's, Unreal Engine, um, you know, there, there's these different platforms that, as far as I'm concerned, they're all equal in one regard. I don't know how to use them yet. <laughs> so there's going to be a big investment of time, and I don't want to learn them all, or I'll spend, you know, the rest of my machinima days just learning tools, you know? I mean, every it, so I need to pick a platform that's going to be not just for this, but maybe for future stuff as well. Uh, now the the stickler is is that this series seems really well suited to do with the Sims. Um, so the Sims Four is out, which I have, and a bunch of expansion packs. But now they've just announced the Sims Five is coming very soon. So apart from the fact that there's this divide between, okay, potential games to use, there's all the issues related to that with intellectual property and 
copyright and and the fact that okay i just finished obit in red dead redemption 2 and i can find one festival on all of of uh film freeway that will accept it because of how it was made one out of the hundreds of festivals on there so do i want to get you know even though it might there might be some benefit of ease in some regard because the, the the film doesn't have a lot of speaking but it has a large cast in the sims that's an afternoon of sitting down and making characters and you're done in any of those other engines oh my you know even though the tools are wonderful to to develop all these unique looking characters uh, so that's that's kind of where I'm, I'm i'm in this tug of war between uh you know first of all the game world versus the you know independent machinima production tool world and then if I choose the independent production tool world, then well, which, which platform to go with? And everybody that uses one of those has an opinion that that's the one that should be used, you know? So someone who's been using iClone for years ago, Oh, iClone hands down, definitely. You know, and someone who's been using unity, if I asked him dot strange, he'd go well, use unity. Of course. I mean, it's, but got to understand I'm starting at zero, not complete zero. Cause I've learned tools like this before. I know generally how animation works and how, textures work and, and, you know, I know how to do those things. I just don't know how to do them with one of these new tool sets. And I'm really struggling with, uh, making that decision. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to waste any time, you know? So, so how whatever are you platform basing... I choose, I need to learn it. And then of course make the film. Right. So how are you basing we, Cause we were talking about the thought process. How are you basing your decisions? What, what do you, using to decide what to do? What are, what are your criteria? <clears throat> well, I mean, I'm, I'm very early in that, in that process. So I, some of it is I'm still formulating. I think ultimately what this comes down to is I'm going to have to decide what are my priorities uh, with regard to this is, is the priority going to be, you know, at the end of it, I own it and can do whatever I want with it. Um, or is, you know, because there's this part of me that, okay, I'm about to turn 50 years old. I know that I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to feed my wife and kids with this. This really is a hobby. It's something I do because I love. So there's this nagging voice then that's like, well, then what, what difference does it make if you can own it or make money on it? You know? So yeah, I don't know. I, I I can't believe that having done this twenty years, I'm still struggling with this. But <laughs> I'm 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 at that point. I think that that Hugh Hancock was close to twenty years ago when he had made some machinima with games, and then they decided we're going to make our own machinima tool because at that time there was nothing. There was no iClone. There was no. There was nothing. So they made a deal with Lithtech. Uh, which uh, Monolith, I think, was the company behind that. But basically right. the LithTech engine was out and they made a licensing agreement with them to develop the LithTech film LithTech film tool or LithTech film production tool. That, that tool, the early beta of that tool, is what he made Ozymandias with. And their idea was, we're going to build this tool that we can do anything we want to with real time and then make our films in that. But they... Ultimately, he hit that same 
decision wall of, okay, do I want to spend the rest of my career as a developer of software uh, or do I want to make films? Yeah. yeah. It's the same decision really that pushed him toward, do I want to spend the rest of my life as a webmaster for machinima.com or do I want to make movies? That's Mm -hmm. what put, that's what motivated the sale. A hundred percent was simply, this is way more work doing stuff that's not resulting in me making films than I want to spend my life doing. So I'm fortunate enough to, to have a, you know, there's quite a menu out there of tools that are well-documented, that have immense content stores, and there's lots of content creators engaged unknowingly, right. in right. some cases, in, in the production of sets and characters and props for people to use in these engines. Um, and then you see stuff like Omniverse happening where there's starting to be these, and, and what M. Strange is doing with uh, Nightmare Puppeteer, the trend now is we want to use the assets made with this thing over in this tool too. So mm-hmm. Blender and Unreal and, and all mm-hmm. those, eventually those content stores, it's going to not be very difficult to traverse. Okay, I'll buy these Unity assets. I'll bring them into Unreal Engine and do that with them here. It's the workflow, isn't it? That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Evan Ryan uh, and, and I are working on a project now um, that I won't reveal much about, but um, I did all the sound on it and he's doing the visuals. And he's he's straddling different platforms to get this done. He's using the character creator here and then bringing it over here to render this with this type of lighting and stuff. And it's so easy compared to the way it used to be to do that now. So... But on the other hand, just to put a little bit of an argument in the column of games, because everything so far seems to be that, well, you need to go with one of these indie platforms then, right? But the, the, the plus of using The Sims, for example, for a story that's really well suited for that style is a lot of that work's already done. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a trade-off there. I can do it with all this work that's already done and then end up having something that there's going to constantly be this limiter on the gas pedal for what I can do with it, how I can get it shown where I can see it. I think your comment about priorities is very important because for example, um, if you decide to go into the Sims community, that the viewership is high for that. Yeah. You already have a reputation for having done excellent Sims work. So you'd already have a built in audience plus a new audience to introduce to your work. And Sims 4 has a massive mod community. Huge. Which means if there's something you want to do that's you can't do in the original game, somebody has already modded it to do that. Whereas yes. if you go for Sims 5, there's probably going to be some breaks here. It's going to take some time for them to yes. build a mod community. So you'll have that all built in. Uh, Damien, I wanted to ask you a quick question. You've switched, you switched from uh, one original game to a new uh, platform. What were those again? Tell me. Uh, so I made the first season of Chronicles of Humanity with The Sims, funnily enough, um, because I was drawn to it because of all the modding and I wanted to create my own sort of world and I wanted control of how the characters would look. And of course, this, you can do that with The Sims and I could create the uniforms for the characters and build the spaceship sets by bringing in textures and so on. But I found that the... I was using The Sims 2 for this, and I found that the animation style of the game didn't work for the setting I was gonna I was creating. So then I switched to Movie Storm because it had a lot of the same features as The Sims. You can build your environment 
using controls very similar to The Sims. And you get a character designer. It wasn't as powerful as The Sims to start with. I mean, they did add more to it as I was using it, which is very helpful. Uh, but it had that same sort of modding um, potential, which meant I could create the world I wanted to do. But like um, Phil said, it is now it's abandonware and they weren't updating it and there's no new content being created. So it was very hard to... I, I kind of thought each point where I felt like I'd done everything I could with uh, Movie Storm. Mm-hmm. So it was time to look for something else. And it was when we were doing... The Machinima Expo, I think it might be the last year we ran it, iClone 6 was um, had just been revealed, and we included that in the in the show. And I was really impressed by how everything looked, and they'd redesigned the interface from um, the previous versions, so it made it much easier to learn. Because I'd looked at some of the older versions of iClone, and it's kind of like sitting down in front of a, a, in a jet engine, a uh, jet cockpit yes and you just yeah, that's the version i owned originally yes <laughs> yeah and i um, did i just sat there looking at that panel just a line of drool <laughs> uh, yeah. it was worse than blender yeah but, <laughs> and blender was bad, bad yes but luckily with six they redesigned it and it made everything made much more sense so i, I and there were lots of good tutorials they released alongside it which explained everything and these are about 15 minutes long. So you can spend a couple of hours watching the tutorials and then you know how to use the software, which I think that's worth, that's time worth taking because it, you know, it teaches you everything you need to know. And so that's what I switched to iClone. And I'm still using iClone now. It's gone on to iClone 7. And one of the things I liked is obviously you got all the enhanced features from that were added for 7, but you can still load up your project from 6, uh, even go back even further than that, is my understanding. I don't have any older projects than six, but you can load your iClone project into the latest version and it will say you're about to um, update it to this latest version so you can't load it back in your in the older one. Do you want to do this? You say yes. And then it, it's all there. You may have to tweak a few things, but you've still got your project there. So you, if you wanted to, you could, uh, if I wanted to um, load up one of my iClone six projects and just render it again using the new visuals, I can do that by just by loading mm. up, tweak the settings, mm. and then it's there. That's very thoughtful uh, that they and added yeah, that nice. capability. And, yeah, and I assume that when iClone 8 is eventually announced and released, that will again have the same compatibility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the downsides, I think, too, that sort of, as Phil calls it, that indie approach to machinima making, and I mean, let's be clear, game-based machinima is where the core of machinima began. Mm-hmm. The sort of indie machinima, which is being developed by tools that are specifically designed for machinima, is a little different. It's still machinima, technically, but it has a different element. To, you don't say have the same community in it, the, the approach, the, 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 the specific way that people work on projects are different. It tends to be more towards the traditional 3D side of, of right. making projects. But there's something to be said for that approach because I remember back when Paul Marino uh, was talking about the ultimate machinima tool and he made an article and he had like seven different things. I'll see if I can't find that article. A machinima tool has to have these 
things in it. Well, I think if you took that list and you applied it to Unity or iClone or Unreal, you'd not only have those seven, but you'd have seven more things that were yeah. added to it as well. So the advantage of that approach to it is that, A, you own it, for one thing. There's a very large community behind making it because it's game-based to begin with. If you want to go deeper and learn scripting, you can do that, like M. Dot did for Nightmare Puppeteer. Mm-hmm. It's got a marketplace. It's got mods. The workflow is well-established. You can pretty much do anything you want. The problem with it is that it's designed for you to continue to buy things. Yes. So you, it's, it's what they call the razor blade approach to selling. They'll give you the razor for free. But you have to keep buying blades in order to use the razor. (laughs) So if you buy iClone, in order to really continue, you have to keep buying updates to get more functionality for it. Like, for example, animations. If you want to have a lot of animations, you have to buy an animation pack, and that's $75. If you want to get more characters, you have to buy a character pack, and that's $75. So by the time you get your production all set up, you've paid $200 for iClone, and you've paid $500 for your production. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's that's the way they build And hey, I don't fault them for doing that. I don't. That's the way they make their money. And yeah, I'm they got to keep that, the lights on. Yeah, yeah. they got to keep the lights on, and I and I, that's cool. And the quality of a lot of their updates are great. But that's the problem with that. If you go into a game-based machinima like The Sims, you pay one time Well, for the content, mostly. The content packs, uh, you add them all up, it's, uh, it's quite expensive to keep all that. But you don't need all of those to... You don't need all of those The base things. game can do it. Yeah. Right. You're, you're basically going to use mods, you know, right. that people make for free. Mm-hmm. So my point is, is that just financially, it's going to be an easier thing to go with game-based, true game-based machinima than it would be with an indie-based machinima, yeah. despite all true. the benefits you get from it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not advocating that. I'm just sort of pointing right. that out. Right. Tracy, you've been the, quiet. Let's hear what well, you have to say. Yeah, no, I, I, mind, I think you probably already made the point, but I'll, I'll sort of say, I mean, it's not, it's not only, obviously, can you can you use the the um, environment that you're creating in or what's the learning curve in using it? Um, but it's also about the time frame that you want to give to that. So it's, you know, how long is it going, how long is the learning process going to, going to take you to sort of get to where you want to go? Mm-hmm. Um, but the other side of it for me is also about who's going to see it and how does that platform that yeah. you're going to create in help you get your story into the wider world. Yeah. And maybe to that extent it's a it's it's a function of the of the content. Um but you know pe- people that tend to be quite good at getting stuff out there seem to be tapping into a a market force that's kind of related to a game. So it's the buzz around the game and their content taps into it. Um, and that seems to how they kind of maximise their audience viewing. And I guess I guess then you have to think about what the tipping point is, at which point that no longer matters. 
um, because obviously right. for some it doesn't matter. Good point. Um, it's it's maybe about you know the the quality of the story and how folks get get um, get feedback. But having said that, I think it's audi- it's also this issue around audience fam- familiarity with the. Um, the, the game and and to what extent that game may then block you getting feedback to your film if it's not extending that game world which you know machinima doesn't always do mm-hmm. um and then the other side of that is uh you know does it does the fact that then you're tipping into into a particular game world say the sims world then dictate what kind of feedback you'll get back when you want much more a wider critical kind of feedback so i think those mm-hmm. are things to to weigh up um but i you know i'm kind of mindful of the fact that uh environments like unreal are, and um iclone and nvidia the plat you know those sort of platforms are more about connectivity and enabling people to um, transfer across the different platforms from stuff that's created in a variety of environments. I think if you I think if you learn one of those workflows, you're probably setting yourself up for for the future with a good set of skills because I do think that is where this stuff's going. Yeah. Um I yeah. think I genuinely think that's the future. So I think it wouldn't be time lost. It's just that it's a steep learning curve. Oh yeah. But all of yeah. that aside, there's thousands of tutorials all free, all on YouTube, all made by folks at various points in that workflow and their, you know, in terms of their experience and what have you. And plus, um, in into that, I I think I'd be, I think I'd be mindful of of what, um, you know, when when um, Ben and I were writing the book, we were we were lucky enough to interview Kim Library, who's the creative technology officer for Epic Games and Unreal being one of their products. He was also the founder of the Industrial Light and Magic Special Effects Studio. (laughs) Um, And he made what I thought was actually a really important point. He said, um, you've got to, you know, you're not just got to be able to create, but you've also got to be able to watch and share your work. And and if if you don't do all three of those things, you'll end up in a a vacuum um, and nobody will see your work. So he said, Learn how to use the tool and remember that it's really important that when you are creating a story, you're making it for an audience. He said, so find the audience and learn from their reactions. Uh, Create a lot, watch a lot of movies, play a lot of video games because the game aesthetic and link to the movie aesthetic is really interesting and share what you're making. And and I think the audience is key here in terms of what, what we're discussing. But I thought that was a really important point. Yes, Absolutely. We'll make sure we uh, include that as written, uh, the statements in our uh, show notes. So mm-hmm. if you miss that, you'll be able to go back and check it out. My, I'd like to add something as well. And it's based on my experience. I'm doing a series of articles at renderosity.magazine.com on called 12 Weeks with Nightmare Puppeteer. And I'm in a section where I'm shooting uh, scenes from a series that I've been working on. And as you were talking, I realized that the story that I've created for the overall series is based on the characters and the scenes that I discovered in Nightmare Puppeteer. Mm -hmm. They weren't 
outside of the game. I didn't come up with a story and say, hey, I want to tell this story that I've created in Nightmare Puppeteer. I drew the stories and ideas from Nightmare Puppeteer. And so already the story is predisposed to exist in that world. It's already set up to do that. Right. So all I have to do is figure out the best way to tell that story. I think you don't get that in the indie productions. You're starting Sue Generis. You're starting with a blank slate. You're not pulling anything from it. You're And you're not responding to the game because the game is as a tool itself. That's the tool. So I think those two different ways of creating and getting inspiration for ideas for stories, and we've already mentioned how important stories are, probably the most important in creating machinima. But I think if you're a filmmaker, if you're an established filmmaker like Phil, or if you're a filmmaker listening and you want to start out, it's important to consider those two differences in what you want to create. Yes. So question then, how do you cast a, ca- a character when you've got, well, a, when you've got a story? Well, um, fortunately, Nightmare Puppeteer has a really great way to create characters where you can, there are three ways you can create a character. You go into this sort of character creation room, which is an eerie little place to begin with. You can choose to do a completely random head and body. You can choose to do a random body. You can choose to do a random head and, or any combination of those. So what happens is, is that I'll do random bodies. I have an idea about the character that I think the way it looks. I'll go and do random char- a random head and body until I find something that intrigues me. Say, for example, the body. And I like that body. So I'm going to go with that body. So I do random heads until I come up with the head that I want. And then I can go in and adjust the qualities of that head to more fit the, like the hair, whether it has glasses, whether it has a a cigarette, whatever, until I finally come up with a character that I like, and then I'll save that character so I can come back and use it again. Now, what's happened is, is that I'll, once I get that character over a period of a week, I may think about it or dream about it or mull it over. And I go, you know, I think I'm going to go with a younger look on the head. So I'll go back and I'll redo the head until I get something that I want. But it makes it so easy that I can come up with a whole cast of characters in an hour. You know, I can say that I wish I had that random head feature in this character yes. feature. Because it's great if you want to make your main cast, but if you just want people in the background, you don't want to spend hours creating individual-looking um, people. You just yes. want to across a random, yeah, yeah, random yep. generator. Yeah, yeah. So, how do you do it, Phil? How do, how do you create a car- car- cast a character? Well, I mean, if thinking back to when I did stuff in The Sims, very similar. Uh, similar process to what Ricky described. I mean, it's not quite as random. Uh, you can't, you know, you can't hit the randomized button in the Sims and have someone have a toilet for a head or something, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, you can, you can hit random and it will change the, the shape of the face and the size of the eyes and the color of the eyes and the ethnicity and the, the how much weight they have on. And especially in the Sims four, it's very, di- uh, quite, 
I know when I made when I made male restroom etiquette, there was the one character uh, uh, that was very large, and that was a mod. Uh, the, the game itself didn't let you make someone that looked like that, so it was oh, basically wow. a clothing mod. That's basically the guy was like wearing a fat suit, basically. Yeah. Uh, well, in the new in in the latest Sims, you've got quite a bit more control over that, um, over the. Uh, the physique and you know morphing different parts of the body or the face or whatever so you can get some it, someone with skill can really you know use a face reference and get really close to um you know a, a face that they're trying to design specifically and if you're wanting to do it random um um you know there, there are tools for that in uh in movie storm you're a lot a lot more limited. You kind of have to start off with a certain head and then there's minor changes you can make, but, um, you know, it's, it's really that same process of, uh, having, I always have the person in mind, the character in mind, uh, pretty, I've thought about it extensively before I ever pull up a tool and try to, to create them. So in, in, in that regard, it's, it's very similar to, uh, uh, to Ricky's approach. I haven't done any character creation in any of the indie tool, the other indie tools yet, the, the ones that are alive. So um, I don't know what that process will be like exactly, but that'll be where I'll begin for sure. Uh, if I go that route is, is with uh, creating the actual character. Well, with iClone, the character creation software is very much like the Sims. Um, so you get your character, you can drag clothes and, dress them and you put different hairstyles on them and then there's slider bars to adjust their their physique so the morph um, the faces yeah. and right yeah and their and body everything. shape but it can go down to this sort of the, um level of detail on the eyelashes and you can pick different eyelashes and even change like how much <laughs> you can change they the curve. angle of it the bridge of the yeah. nose and everything yeah there's um, so many things in character creator which i think is great and one of the cool things about character creator it's directly exportable into unity and into unreal the yeah. same way with the free character creator which is mixamo if uh, adobe bought a mixamo but they still have the um, website available they've got maybe 30 characters there that you can adjust and change and put clothing on and import that directly into unreal or blender mm -hmm if you want to, to further change the way it looks. So the, the character creation process can go from free to, you know, you one time perpetual license for character creators, like 150, 200 bucks. And you have that character creation tool for the rest of your life, you know? Um, so I think, it, I, I think that's a good workflow, but to me, the most important thing, if story is the most important thing and you're not a real good storyteller or you're a beginning storyteller, or you're trying to get better Perhaps a game-based uh, machinima process would work better because you've got the feedback directly from the story that you're the game you're playing. Like I've been playing Diablo II Resurrected all week. It opened, it came out on September 23rd, and I've just been marveling at how beautiful the design is of it and how much more appropriate it is to tell stories. Even though they're, the only animations you have are game-based animations, and they're usually run, shoot, fight. There's no gestures or anything like that. But even then, there are still places where you can create character dialogue. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Silly character mm -hmm. dialogue. Like they've got chickens in it that get all pissed off if you 
run past <laughs> them. They're, they flap and flap and flap. And I could just see some warrior, get the hell out of the way, you goddamn chickens. Here I am trying to kill the demons and these chickens are in my way. You know what I mean? It just, it brings out storytelling ideas. So um, obviously you got to come up with, pri- with, with priorities about what you want to do with your film. Tracy makes a great point of having an audience. Make sure you keep your audience in mind when you're telling it. Tools, you don't want to spend weeks or even months to learn a tool you know, when you really just want to get to making uh, films, money is an issue. Do you want to spend a thousand dollars to put together a production? You don't have that thousand dollars. You've got 50 or no money at all. Then that has to come into the, but the good news is unlike 10 years ago, all of those approaches are possible today. Yes. You can do all of those things as long as you come up with priorities and you keep the idea that story has to be the center of what you're working on. A good story tells itself in many ways. Yes. Well, thank you very much, guys. I think we'll close now uh, with all of that. I really enjoyed talking to you about this uh, topic. We had another uh, thing we were going to talk about live action and machinima, but I think we'll hold off on that for now because I think we had a good discussion about this. Now, if you have ideas about how to choose a machinima platform, or you want to share your thoughts on why you chose a particular platform, um, Chris, maybe you could tell us a little bit about why you chose MovieZoo to do, to spend seven years of your life in, Um, you know, share that with us, send us an email or a voice message. We'd love to play your message on our podcast here. Phil, what's the method for uh, making a recording that you could send to us? Um, it's using a service called Reverb.chat, and there's a link to that on uh, the homepage of our website. Great. Please send us a message. We'd love to play it. We'd love to ridicule your ideas and your personality <laughs> live. So uh, please send it to us. And thank you so much for listening. Um, we've got uh, fun announcements to make for next year's podcasts that are coming. We'll talk about that uh, next when we get together. So look for us on the Thursday of each month. We have new episodes coming out. And thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Thank Bye. you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Happy Bye. Halloween. Happy Halloween. <laughs>